Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Jackie Dunbar takes a deep breath, inhaling the wind and mud and snow on the ground and the smell of the newborn calf. And she tries not to think about what might go wrong. To consider failure is always the first misstep. She corrals the calf between her thighs. The tagging cunt in her hand keeps slipping from her dad's old gloves, so she pulls them off, the snow and wind biting her skin. The animal twists into the ground as if it could escape, as if that were possible. This is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series. Today I'm talking to Rebecca Claren, author of Kick Down, in which two sisters struggle to save their family's cattle ranch in western Colorado. A young woman takes a leave from medical school to settle the affairs of her father, who died a painful death from an unnamed cancer. She finds a bankrupt ranch, a sister in the midst of a nervous breakdown, and an old boyfriend buying up oil and gas leases that could save everyone at the expense of changing the landscape. I got a lot of questions to ask Rebecca Claren, an award-winning journalist who has been writing about serious issues affecting people and land in the American West. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. It's so nice to be here. So you've been writing about serious nonfiction issues regarding land, Indian rights, government for over 20 years. Is Kickdown your first foray into fiction? You know, it really is. I, in many ways, look back on my decision to write fiction and think, what was I thinking? <laughs> because I, uh, I didn't go to journalism school, and I just decided that I would get it that, you know, that if I was having trouble getting work as a reporter, then I would go to school. And so I taught, I mean, my editors and people that I worked with uh, taught me how to be a reporter and I learned on the job and I made mistakes and I got better from them. And so I just thought, I don't need to go to school to be a novelist. I'll just do it. And, you know, four drafts later, (laughs) I had a novel, but uh, yeah, it was really my first, it was my first effort. Then what was your schooling? What did your degree look like? 
I went to Smith College and I studied anthropology. I also was a minor in studio art. And I really think anthropology is a wonderful uh, training for any kind of writing because it's all about paying attention and listening and learning about other people. Mm, good nod to the anthropology people. So how did you come to write a novel and this novel in particular? So as you said, I've been writing about people and places in the West for a long time. And um, one thing I, I believe so deeply in journalism, and I think in so many ways, my job as a reporter has never been more important. And yet, a, a challenge that I have had over the years with being a reporter is that I just feel frankly like there's very rarely, almost never, the space to ever really talk about the feeling part of what it's like when, for example, you're worried about the air your grandchildren are breathing or what's in your water. Maybe there's a quote that speaks to that, but as a reader, you don't really ever feel what that feels like. There's too much other stuff that needs to go in the article, important stuff, the science, the economic data, you know, any kind of investigative public interest work I've done. Um, and I just felt like I want to write a novel because I want people to feel what it's like to live in the rural West, to be somewhat forgotten by the rest of the country. I really, I visited so many small communities and most of the time, these are not places that the New York Times or the Washington Post ever visits and that the vast majority of our, our you know, citizens know about. And so it was important. That was, that was what led me to want to write a story and a novel that focused on the feeling part instead of on the facts. Um, the book is set in a fictional Western Colorado town that plays a really important role. What, on what did you base it? Well, it, the, the town is a fictionalized town. It's called Silt, but it's based on a real town called Silt and also a town named Paonia, which is about three hours to the south of there. I lived in Western Colorado for several years. I was a reporter at a regional publication called High Country News, which is a paper dedicated to covering land and environmental issues and public lands and people in the American West. And so I, I lived in this small town and when I wrote the novel and I, and then I continued to come back and visit a lot as I was reporting for um, national magazines like salon.com and mother Jones, I went back and visited there to write about these small communities for fortune. I wrote about oil and gas development as well. And I was living where I live now in Portland, Oregon and, I was really missing the West and the dryness and the, the sparse beauty. And so it was really wonderful to be able to, in my mind, go and visit these fictionalized, non-fictionalized places that I knew. Can you explain the title of the book, Kickdown, and what it means? Yeah. So kickdown is actually an oil and gas industry term. When you drill, this is an oversimplified version, so please forgive me, any petroleum engineers out there listening. But um, when, you, when you drill for oil and gas, it's like sticking a straw in a layer cake. And you have to loosen the gas from the rock. The gas is either adhering to the, the ground, either by water sitting on top of it, or it's squeezed inside very tight sands 
Fracking is a word we hear about a lot. That's what you do. You fracture the ground to, to release the gas. But however you do that, however you get the gas released, once the gas is released, it wants to escape. It wants to go up as fast as it can, however it wants. And, and so drillers put a bunch of mud on top of the wellbore to ensure that the gas, as it's escaping, escapes through the pipe that is being drilled down. And if they don't put the right amount of mud down, uh, the gas can burp out of the drill rig. And that is called a kick or a kick down. And because this is a very flammable environment, those big burps of gas catch fire. And it's these huge, when you have a kick or a kick down, it's these huge fireballs that go into the sky. They, they're like the size of buses. They're huge. And um, a real kick or kick down happened in the, in the community of Silt. And there's YouTube videos you can watch of people watching it. And I, was, I came to this book, I was very interested in the question of control. What happens to ourselves when we lose control of ourselves? What how does it feel like when we lose control of our land and our air and our water and, and the people that we love? And so for a book that's very concerned about control and losing control, the kick down felt like an apt metaphor and a good title for that kind of concern. There are wells already placed throughout the area, and they've already begun affecting human and cattle health, like several examples in your story. So how does the actual kickdown that you wrote about trigger the book's events? Well, it triggers them in several ways. So the night that an actual kickdown occurs, uh, I have I tell the story from three characters' perspectives. And that night, um, because of the in part because of the events of the kick, um, the characters' lives are disrupted and they get into trouble because of that event um, in the way that they are distracted by it or triggered by it. And, and that event on that night, because of the ways they kind of mess up their lives and lose control, it brings them together. And so their three lives become more entwined and then the narrative rolls on. But there's also an environmental mystery in the book and the people are characters are struggling with why is their water bubbling like Sprite and what's going on in their community. And, and part of why is because of that, when that kickdown happened, it's never exactly spelled out to be honest in the novel, but when that kickdown happened, um, things didn't go correctly. Obviously uh, you don't expect to see a fireball in your, in the sky, in the nights, in the evening sky of your home. And that created problems in the deep strata underneath the earth. And then the gas is now escaping, not where it should be, and into the land and water around the community. And in real life, would that have been possible for the company who owns the land, or no, who, who owns the equipment, who actually dug those wells, would that really be possible for them to get away with it? Or would there be some um, legal recourse? It's absolutely possible. Absolutely. Um, there is some legal recourse, but as attorneys have told me over the years, uh, it is very hard to prove that you have an impact 
to your property or to your health in particular from um, faulty oil and gas operations. Because first of all, this is changing. But when I first started writing about oil and gas, very, very rarely did anyone ever do a baseline study. Did they study, this is what the air is like. This is what the water is like before they came in and drilled. No, almost never. And so then once you have these strange things happening to your land and your water and your air, it's, it was, it's been very, very hard for people to prove, well, that's because of all of this oil and gas development. The, the body of evidence is changing, and I would guess that now lawsuits are easier. But for a very long time, and especially where when this book was set, which was about 10 years ago, um, that was not something people could prove in court. So, um, you know, just because you get some chemicals associated with oil and gas into your water, let's say, catching them in the water as they flow through the through the river is is not also an easy thing to do. And there's a fine balance between progress and protecting the land between uh, we need the energy and we're looking for it in this country. It's it's not that you're saying oil and gas is evil and everybody else is good. I mean, there's a fine balance, right? And you're trying to show that throughout the story. Yeah, I hate myself. I hate preachy books. And I really didn't want to write a preachy book. And so, and I do feel like as a reporter, yeah, I I feel pretty agnostic about um, energy extraction in this country. I think the way it's being done in many places is completely irresponsible. But could it be done properly in a way that protects human health and the environment? Of course. Of course, that's possible. Right. If we we got men on the moon, why can't we figure out how much mud to put on top of a a dig, a well, so that it doesn't back into the up into into everybody's water supply? Right. So okay. So let's talk about the characters. The main character is Jackie. She's pretty complex. Why is she back in Colorado? So at the beginning of the book, before the book even starts. Jackie and her sister Susan's father dies suddenly of cancer. He has a very, by the time he's diagnosed to when he dies, it's just really a couple of weeks. And Jackie has dropped out of medical school to come home to try and figure out what to do with her, the land that has been left to she and her sister. Their mother died when they were quite young. Her sister is having kind of a it's never diagnosed, but she's having an incredible amount of anxiety and depression, uh, which is precipitated by her dad's death, but it has to do with a number of other things that were happening to her before that. And so Jackie is is home. She feels like she has to be in charge of everything and control everything. And so she also has to lose control a lot in this book. Poor Jackie. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. 
Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. Um, so let's talk about Susan. Is she mentally unstable though, or is she just in a grieving process? Well, what do you think? I think she's in a terrible, she's having a terrible time. I don't think she's a person who, who is just always struggling with depression and anxiety, but I think life has beat her up and she's kind of at her bottom. So maybe a little of both. But mostly she's just really grieving and having a, she's very, she's having a hard time at the beginning of the book, but it gets better for her. Her marriage ended, right? Her marriage ended, her father just died and they're struggling to keep the ranch. It's a lot of, a lot of stuff. Anybody would. Yeah. She had a, any, you know, she had a series of miscarriages. She was very ambitious as a young reporter. Her career never really got off the ground. So she feels like she just hasn't really done anything in her life. And then there's Ray and his wife. What's going on? So Ray has just returned home from the Iraq war. He's been home about six months. He's a deputy sheriff in this small town. He's in the National Guard. And he's someone who I really love Ray. He might be my favorite character. He He's come home. He's having such a hard time readjusting as so many people do when they come home from war to his family life with his wife who he really loves, but they got together when she was, when they were both young, she got pregnant accidentally. This wasn't a marriage either of them exactly chose. And here they have two kids and a mortgage and um, they're having a hard time seeing each other and appreciating one another. And then there's Tim, who is brought in by the oil and gas company to lease land in his hometown, but he's torn. I think Tim is, um, I think he's a really, in some ways, complicated guy. He really thinks of himself as a good person. And he sees, and he's not wrong, that he's helping his community stay afloat. These traditional ways Westerners have made a living are increasingly almost impossible to make money as a rancher or a farmer. Um, and so he's he feels like offering to lease the mineral rights of his neighbors gives them a chance at survival. And, and yet um, we make all sorts of stories up about ourselves to live with ourselves, right? We justify all of our own actions to continue to see ourselves as the good people we want to be. And Tim does that. He makes some mistakes and he has a hard time at times in the book, you know, owning them. But again, it's a, it's just such a balance between people losing their land that's been in their families for generate generations or getting that $50,000 to give the, the lease, uh, the digging rights to the company. And if the company were to figure out the way to do it correctly, there's nothing wrong with it. There's it. 
you can't blame anybody for making that choice. And I, and I don't think as a reader, I blamed Tim. He thought he was helping people. Oh, good. That's what I wanted you to feel. Yeah, he's, he's complex. Yeah. Uh, so those four, Jackie, Susan, Ray, and Tim are the main characters. And then there's a, a other townspeople involved. And interestingly, the central character who is dead, but very important to them, is the father. He's He comes up in their thoughts constantly. And what would dad want? And how would he do this? And uh, wearing his old clothes, the, the sisters. So tell us about more about him. Yeah, I think when people die, when I have lost people close to me, they continue to be a part of my life. Um, I remember seeing Sandra Cisneros speak once and she talked about after her dad died, it was, she never had, she didn't have to call him and hear him say, what do you want? I'm watching TV right now. She could just conjure him in her mind and he was there. And I think that's a really interesting thing about, about death and our relationship with people. Um, So that wasn't, it wasn't like I planned, I'm going to have this character. This is important to me to explore this, but I, I like many of us have lost people close to me and it was important. That just felt true that that's how that happens so the townspeople you're pretty clear about how they do not want payouts from the government they don't want payouts or handouts talk about what they do want well i think the nature of westerners and of course i'm stereotyping here but it is a stereotype based on more than two decades of of spending time in small towns and i am from I'm from a city in the West, uh, and so I've lived here my almost my entire life, except for school, college. Um, I think there's a really interesting uh, dichotomy that Westerners, so many Westerners, make their living uh, by the land, and you know, either that's you might it might not be extracting something from the land, it might be from tourist economies based on the land. And so you need the land so much land in the West is public land land owned by the government. So you're on the one hand, immediately indebted to government, and you don't have to research very much to learn about so much of our industries in the West are supported by, by farm bills by government supports. And, um, and yet, uh, that I think creates in people or people came to it wanting. We also have this mythic idea of a Westerner as someone who's very independent, who who does things on their own, that their their descendants, uh, I mean, not the descendants, pardon me, their ancestors were homesteaders here who forged their way across the, the plains and, you know, discovered this land. I mean, all of that isn't true. Uh, we know that, but, but it's this idea. So these ideas rub up against each other. And so, but the dominant narrative that you hear are people saying, I don't want help from the government. The government doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, they have a plan. Those plans are never the right plans. And, and, you know, that's also true. We have big bureaucracies that people that often, miss the facts about what is needed on the ground. Uh, these are decisions often being made and set by policymakers in Washington, D.C., who have never come to the rural West. So so all of that is true and all of that is messy and all of that gets worked out. 
hopefully in these little conversations you hear. So what are you working on now? So right now I'm working on a new book. It's creative nonfiction. Uh, So it's really trying to marry all of my experience as a journalist with the tools that I learned as a novelist. Uh, so, So I'm trying to write a nonfiction story that feels like a novel that has a, has an arc, has plot. And that work is, it's a, it's a quest of myself trying to understand what happened to the Lakota who were displaced and shoved onto reservations in order for the federal government to give free land to my ancestors who were escaping pogroms and Russia and came to this country and got free land. And in that way had a pathway to the middle class. Um, This work was, Oh, and I'll just say, so I have, I received a grant. It's called the regional arts and culture council here in Portland. I received a grant to start work on this last year and I've taken several trips to South Dakota since then. And I've actually been able to locate some of the descendants of the actual families that were living and hunting buffalo and collecting wild plants on the exact area of land that became the 6,000-acre ranch that my family owned until 1965. So, um, and so it's so it's my journey, um, but the Lakota people are really the heroes of this story. And I am, I, I have been a reporter writing about indigenous Americans for a long time. And really, I just don't think you can write about the American West, of course, without writing about tribes and tribal citizens. But for the last three years, I was hired by a nonprofit investigative journalism shop called Investigate West. These, these are increasingly the model for the way investigative journalism is done, these nonprofit that then partner with media outlets. So my series on Indian country ran in Indian country today, and which is the biggest um, daily dedicated to covering Native America and also the Nation magazine. And it was during my reporting that I had this slow, kind of embarrassingly slow <laughs> dawning of realizing I've been pointing fingers at the federal government and state governments to say, look at how your policies have harmed um, indigenous people and to realize, oh, but wait a minute, I'm actually a part of this story. Those policies helped my family and myself in some ways at the cost of, of, of their Lakota neighbors. So, so the book is a, is a search for truth. What really happened there on the plains. And then it grapples with the question of what do we do about that truth once we find it? And I'm, I'm actually sending a book proposal out in a couple of weeks. So uh, we'll see what happens. That's what I'm working on now. And I, and I haven't, well, that's nonfiction and that's nonfiction. Yep. Any ideas about another, another novel? I do. I have a novel that I have done a lot of thinking about and, uh, it's, um, I will just briefly, I feel pretty protective of it, but I will say it's a road trip story. It explores the relationship of mothers and sons and mother-in-laws, um, and daughter-in-laws and 
and it opens in a very hot, hot day amid a drought in the Northwest with a woman lying on her back in her kitchen with a bag of frozen peas on her head and she's breastfeeding a child. That's the first opening image. <laughs> um, and But I never am having time to work on that novel. So it's it's in there. I'm not going to let go of that story, but it hasn't. It's still just in process. Well, best of luck with all your writing. It's really important stuff. I look forward to reading it. And thank you so much for joining me today, Rebecca. Oh, Galit, this was so fun. Thank you for having me. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.